0: Well, most of you know, um, if you don't, we have been in a series all summer on the Ten Commandments. So each week we've taken one of the commandments, and we're walking through each commandment each week um, throughout the summer. Well, this is a little inside information. Only pastors get to know this kind of stuff, all right? This is, this is good, um, enriching stuff for you. Moses, when he was up on Mount Sinai with God, and God gave him the commandments, he came down from the mountain, and he said to all the Israelites, well, I have some good news and some bad news. See, I don't put that kind of stuff in the Bible. It's the stuff you gotta know different. I'm I'm joking, all right? Good news, bad news. They said, give us the good news first. So he said, the good news is, I've talked him down from 21. 21 down to 10, that's all we have. The bad news is, he's not budging on number seven. I know, some of you are like, okay, crap, what's number seven? I can't remember what number seven is. Here we go, commandment number seven. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. And some of you are thinking, I'm not even married. This doesn't apply to me. This is good. I came on a good Sunday. And some of you are thinking, I've never had an affair. This one doesn't apply to me. You know, I'm okay. This is good. And some of you are thinking, is there a way I can sneak out before he gets any further into this message without anybody noticing? Well, I know I get it here at the end of this message. I hope that we all see um, something new about this something that maybe you've never thought of, something that um, is different with it, or you're going to see, I think, that this is for all of us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I think at some level, this one hits us all. But we have to start somewhere, and I think we have to have a base structure to start with before we jump into what is adultery. We have to understand um, something about marriage. This commandment, I think, is based on an understanding of what marriage is before we go any further with it. So let's first look at marriage, because I believe that the lesson on adultery is for all of us, whether we're married or not. I think the lesson on adultery is for all of us, no matter what our view on marriage is. But again, I want to say it this way before I, before I jump in, um, just like last week, last week we talked about murder and there were some tough topics with that. Um, you may disagree with me on some things that I say this morning. It may be political for those reasons. So I'm going to encourage you to set, set aside any political views that you have. I'm not running for office. This isn't a platform for me to give that for. Please hear this through and try and gain an understanding and a value for the covenant and the purity of marriage and what God has designed. So let's look at marriage before we get into this. Marriage, Webster, the Webster's Dictionary back in 1828. If we go back a few years, 1828, Webster defined marriage this way, the act of uniting a man and a woman for life. That was their definition. It actually quoted later on in the definition, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, and the marriage be undefiled. However, we jump ahead a few years. Webster, 1998, this is their definition, marriage. The state, condition, or relationship of being married. And I'm thinking, th- thanks for clearing that one up, um, Webster. That's, that really helps a lot. Um, the ambiguity there is, is right on target. So let's jump ahead a few more years. Webster, 2019, marriage. The state of being united as spouses in a consensual and contractual relationship recognized by law. Times have changed a little bit, haven't they? And I would say that there's many in our society that say, yeah, for the better, This is awesome. We needed this change. And, you know, maybe there's a legal issue with some of this that we could sit down and, and talk through and try and figure something out legally. But as far as God's definition goes, I'm not sure that it has changed. And I think it's important for us to understand God's definition of marriage before we unpack adultery and try and get to that. So God's definition of marriage, a covenant between one man and one woman a lifetime. Now, I know for me to stand up here this morning and to say that, it's a very bold statement in our society. Because by saying it, some would call it hate speech. And by saying it this way, it's implying that everything, anything outside of this definition is considered adultery. Adultery. Now, here's the deal. This is not a direct quote by God. God didn't say this directly. You can't look it up in your Bible and say, where did he say that at? We get this from a study of understanding Scripture from beginning to end, unpacking scrip- Scripture and trying to understand it. And this is the official stance that Crestview has on this topic of marriage. We jump back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and we read, um, "...and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man." Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Jesus actually quoted this. We're going to see this a little bit later in the sermon, but Jesus quoted this in Matthew 19, this exact same passage. So the leadership here at Crestview, we want everyone to know that we are accepting of anyone and everyone who comes into this church. Everyone is welcome here at Crestview. And I expect all of us as a church to make anybody that walks through these doors feel loved and welcomed. We want people to feel right at home when they come in, no matter if they disagree with this viewpoint or not. We may not agree on all things, but we want to love in all things. I saw a sign on a church. It wasn't local. It was on the internet. I saw the sign in front of a church. Um, It said, just love everyone. I will sort them out later. Signed, God. And and there's a lot of truth to this. I absolutely believe it. Yes, 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 we need to love everyone. Um, Absolutely. Yes, I also believe God, will sort them out later, (laughs) all of us. God will be the ultimate judge of all of us. The problem, there's a little bit more that we need to see. God also says in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So, there's an obligation I take personally. There's an obligation on us as a church to teach all of us to observe what God has commanded. So, teaching you what the Bible says about marriage is not saying that I hate anyone. And just because we might disagree on this topic um, does not mean that I hate you. I hope to do it with love and with grace. But God's word does teach us that an intimate relationship, physical, emotional, mental, is reserved for marriage, of which we have defined, um, which we believe is intended to be a covenant made between one man and one woman for a lifetime. So with that understanding, this is where we're going to start. To understand what adultery is, we start from that point and that platform. And if you believe something different, I'm going to invite you to a cup of coffee. If we need to unpack this further, I believe it deserves a conversation more than someone preaching at you. We need to see each other's hearts. And let's sit down and talk about it and go from there. Commandment number seven, though, Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. And we have to start with why next. Where where do we go with this? Why? And I believe it's because God created us and he knows what's best for us. And he says, look, this is how I created you. He knows what he he meant by creating us and our relationships. And he says, if you want the best pleasure out of how I created you, stay within these guardrails. Stay within these boundaries. Follow these rules if you get outside of it, it's not that God's going to come and zap us and take us out if if we get outside of His guardrails and His rules, but he's saying there's more pain, there's more heartache out here. If you live within this, this is where you 're going to have the best life. This is where it's going to feel the best. This is where that pleasure that I intended for you is going to come out the best way for you. Now, our society doesn't always agree. this commandment has d- been dismissed, and it's almost useless, or old-fashioned, or irrelevant anymore. The majority of sexual situations that you see, uh, you watch on TV shows or movies, uh, they're mostly between people that are not married. I Really think about it. When was the last time you watched a movie or a TV show and a married couple was even hinted at being intimate with each other? So today, adultery is not only tolerated and accepted, it's often defended or even encouraged. Alan Peterson, um, an author, he tells the story, he writes about this, the story of 12 women that would meet together on a weekly basis. They would meet together to have lunch and to study French while their children attended school, nursery school. And one day, one of the ladies asked the other um, 12 She said, how many of you have been completely faithful to your husbands throughout your marriage? How many of you have been completely faithful? And only one of them raised their hand. But one of the others went home that night and told her husband about the story and what had happened. And she assured him that she had been faithful. She just didn't raise her hand. And he asked her, why? Why didn't you raise your hand? And she said, because I was embarrassed. She was embarrassed to do it in front of everyone else. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, chastity is the most unpopular of all Christian virtues. I believe if we were to take a poll throughout our nation, which of the, command, which of the commandments would you say is irrelevant or we could take out? Number seven would probably be at the top of the list. So, adultery. If we're going to stay true to it, let's, let's see how it unpacks I see it in this category of premarital. Even before you make your covenant to your spouse, it can happen. Adultery means a physical relationship with someone other than your husband or your wife. This also means prior to being married to them. The physical relationship is to happen within marriage, which we have defined already. And so if you are not married, then a physical relationship is adultery with that person. Now, there are stages to this, and I believe that this can happen before marriage, and it doesn't have to lead to an inappropriate physical relationship. We see this as we are growing up. We see this with kids and teenagers and young adults. Falling in love with somebody can lead to an emotional and a, a mental intimacy without the physical part of that, which is reserved for marriage. Um, and this is introduced at a very young age. We, we see this often. I heard about a father who asked his eight-year-old son what he learned in school that day. They we were sitting around having dinner. He said, what would you learn in school today? And eight-year-old boy said, dad, we learned how to make babies. He was like, huh? what? really? He was running through his mind. You learned how to make babies? So he inquired. He goes, well, tell me, how do you make babies? And he said, oh, it's easy. You just take off the Y and you add an IES, babies. Come on. <laughs> God, though, has designed a marriage for us in a certain way that we need to honor how he has designed it for us and to follow that. It's not only premarital, it's extramarital. Now, within the marriage, I think the boundaries get a little bit closer for us to where even the beginning stages of a relationship with someone else can be very dangerous and can be considered an emotional affair or adultery. And there's stages to this as well. Maybe casual encounters. You know, y- you hang out by a certain spot in the office, hoping that person walks by again. And it's not just casual anymore. It's predetermined. Uh, maybe you, you wear something special or some perfume, and you go to your office thinking, I hope, I hope he notices, and he gives me a compliment, because I enjoy his compliments. You're predetermining those casual encounters. Maybe it's the lingering You hang out a little longer than you should. After the conversation's over, you want to stay and just linger with that person. It might turn into private meetings, secret meetings, meetings that no one else knows about except the two of you. And I believe these can open the doors to an emotional or even a mental affair with them, which then can lead to a physical relationship. So how do we help how do we help each other in this? Because I think we're in it together. When you make that covenant with somebody, you're not alone. You're in it together. So we need to look out for each other. Don't be selfish. Um, be committed to your husband or your wife. Look out for their needs. Do things for them. What is it that they need to feel that love? Do that for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He said, "...it is good for a man not to marry." I mean, it's, it's all right. If you don't get married, it's okay. Verse 2, But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I heard about a scientific study. This is very scientific stuff here. It was done to discover which days of the week men like to make love to their wives. And they discovered that men like to make love on days that begin with the letter T. Tuesday, Thursday, today, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, we'll make it work, however we need to make it happen, right? Okay, let's go here. What about divorce? How do we get here, divorce? Malachi 2, verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Notice, please look at this, please notice. God does not hate people, he hates divorce, not to divorce people. And I believe he hates divorce for the same reason you and I hate divorce. It's because we've seen what it does to families. We've seen what it does to relationships And, and it breaks. It breaks him and the relationships that happen there and the love between people. And God says, I hate what that does to you. I care for you and I want you to have the best. Therefore, that's not divorce. And judges are indifferent to it today. They'll issue those pretty easily. But understand this, God wants what's best for us. In Matthew 19, this is Jesus again quoting here. Some of the Pharisees wanted to test him and they said, hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus replied to them. He says, haven't you heard that in the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, and this is his quote from Genesis, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then Jesus goes on, he says, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. They keep pushing, though, and they said, well, then, Jesus, why did Moses command that a a man can give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said to them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. So I, I, it's going to happen, so we're trying to figure out some grace for you, is where he's going with this. He said, but that's not how it was from the beginning. That's not how God designed it. Verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, why is that so strong, and why do we get hung up on this? And this is a tough one. I believe it's because God's definition is one man and one woman forever, and he can't go back on it. He said, this is how I structured it from the beginning, and I I can't change that. But remember, with the truth and the teaching of that truth, there comes grace. And so Jesus is opening the door for grace to say, if that happens, even though this is the truth, there is grace to be had. So with this understanding, please know I'm not casting judgment on anybody. I'm not trying to stand up here and say I'm better than anyone else or to give any speech towards hate, but we have to understand Jesus and what he taught. So let's go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, Um, and Jesus says this often to us. Now, please know, let's work backwards in this um, passage that Jesus taught us. Please know this is not literal. There's a thing called hyperbole in Scripture, and Jesus is using an extreme example to show us how serious he is on this. Um, Someone actually tried this one time. I read a story about a guy that he felt like he had this issue with lust, and he was really struggling through it. And he read this passage, and he thought, that's it. That's how I'm going to overcome my lust. And he actually plucked out his eyes. Guess what, though? It didn't work. Because it wasn't his eyes that were the problem. It was his heart. It's a heart issue. Our eyes are only the avenue of which it gets there. But it's a heart issue. I really believe if we followed this word for word and we took this literal, we'd all be walking around with no eyes and no ears and no arms. And we'd look silly in this. We've got to see that this is an extreme case of Jesus saying, Guys, this is serious. So what is he trying to teach us here? What is Jesus saying? Number one, I think he says, do whatever it takes to avoid this sin. Do whatever it takes. Work hard at it. Build walls. Set boundaries. The temporary pleasure is not worth the long-term pain. Now, here's a quote. It's been a favorite quote of mine for, for many years. It's actually a very silly, kind of a weird quote, and you're going to see it, and it's, it's going to maybe resonate the same with you. That's kind of weird, but um, it, it sticks. Martin Luther said it this way once. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can sure stop them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> That's weird, right? That's just a weird, but because of that being strange, it has stuck with me over the years. And There's so much truth to it. Absolutely, there's going to be temptations. Things are going to come our way, but we can stop them. They don't, have to, they don't have to settle in to our hearts. So Let me give you some advice. Here are some things that I think will help. Steps to avoid temptation. If something comes along your way in this area, number one, run. Just run. Just get out. Get out of the room. Keep moving. Go somewhere safe. Just run as far as you can from it. Do your best when that happens to say, I got to take myself out of the situation. I can't be here in this. Run. Um, I don't know how to unpack that much further. um, And I hope you get that, number one. Number two, be on your guard. Put some guardrails up for yourself. I'm going to encourage you um, to put some security protected guards on your Wi-Fi router at home. That's not only um, for you personally, um, it's for your kids, it's for whatever. Put something on there. Guys, if you struggle with what you see and what you watch on the internet, um, set it up, have your wife set the password and throw it away. Move on from it, do what it takes so that you're not tempted in this area. Um, I believe that what you watch can cause your heart to be lustful. And pornography is a big business in this. And I think the reason is because it's private. We feel like we can get away with it. And there's so much more we can say about this. We can unpack this further. And if that's you and you need that, let's, let's keep working on it together. Um, number three, be accountable. Find somebody that you can be honest with. That's somebody that can hold you accountable and say, hey, you've been hanging around there too long. Hey, you've been you've been lingering too much. I've noticed how you change your demeanor when that person's around. Find somebody that you can be accountable with that can hold you there. Uh, Number four, realize the seriousness of adultery. The consequences are long-lasting. The rest of your life, you'll be dealing with it. Um, Notice how serious this is. And five, don't be selfish. I believe this is a selfish sin. This is I need this. I I want that pleasure. I deserve it. Um, Don't be selfish in this. Think about others with it. And I'm going to encourage you, if this is you, get a new definition of success. Rewrite your definition of success. What does success mean to you? Write that down and then work towards that. So what else was Jesus telling us? I believe Jesus was telling us, um, do whatever it takes. And then he's also saying, hey, I'm going to widen the circle on you a little bit. I believe Jesus widens the circle for us when he says, even if you've thought about it, you've committed adultery. And he says, so for all of you that were putting people in that circle, oh yeah, you, you deserve in that circle. Oh Yeah, you did this. You belong over there. Yeah, you've committed adultery. You need to stand in that circle. You, 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 you. And Jesus just comes along and says, wait a minute, I'm going to make the circle this big. And now I stand. Stand in the middle of the circle. And now you're standing in the circle. I don't think this one gets past any of us. I believe when Jesus comes along and he defines it this way, all of us are now in the circle of adultery. We've all been there at some point, and we can't point fingers and put anyone else there. He widens it so big that we all stand in the circle on this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this was Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you've been washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now this passage is a tough one. It's been used to throw stones at people um, by Christians that I believe don't understand it. This is not a checklist. This is not a list for us to go down and say, you get in the circle, you get in the circle. This is a list. It's an inclusive list. It's Paul saying, you all belong in the circle, even me all of us somewhere along the line it's not a list to go down and check off it's a list for all of us to say oh yeah that's where i fit oh yeah that one's me i need to step in to the circle there somewhere along the way we've all done this and we need to be careful about who we bring to jesus and accuse of anything one day a group of pharisees brought a woman that they have caught in adultery to jesus i believe they set her up um my take on it is that they knew it was going to happen um they were waiting for they probably did set her up with this and they grabbed her and they brought her to jesus and they threw her at his feet and they said jesus this woman has committed adultery the law of moses says we should stone her what do you say Jesus in this story, he actually convicts the convictors and um, he says to them, any of you that have never sinned, if any of you have never sinned, you be the first one to throw a stone. Well, none of them could because they all belong in the circle, right? They all need to stand there and pretty soon they all left. And he leans down to the woman and says, where are all of your accusers? She looks up and she says, they're all gone. And Jesus says to her then, I don't condemn you either. He showed her grace, he gives her grace. And we love that story because we hear that story of grace and we all want to receive that story of grace and so often our society will take that passage of of scripture and they'll stop right there and they'll say, see, that's it, grace. We have to finish it. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus looks at this woman and he also gives her truth and he says, now go and leave your life of sin stop. Stop doing what you're doing. It, it's, he, she still needs to hear the truth. What you did was wrong. You still did this. It is wrong. You need to stop doing that. But I'm showing you grace as we move along with it. You see, truth without grace leads to self-righteousness and legalism. Truth without grace is the Pharisees coming and saying, you need to belong in a circle, and we don't. Truth without grace is not where any of us want to be. However, grace without truth leads to deception and moral compromise. And if we don't stand up for the truth as well, it leads to a lot of people being deceived about what God really means. Jesus offers forgiveness to any of us who will repent and confess and turn from our sins. And that forgiveness was expensive. It cost him his life on the cross And I believe that the cure for adultery is not pride. It's not, hey, look at me. I'm proud of my adultery and what I've done. Don't be proud of living outside of God's definition of what marriage is. Because we have all failed. We've all slipped. We've all made mistakes. And we all need to have an attitude of repentance and acceptance. Towards what Christ has done for us. Here's the beauty of it, and this is what I love about this, in this concept, in this idea of marriage, and who we all are, is the church you read through scripture and you understand this, this idea that we are called the bride of Christ as a church, as a group, we are called the bride of Christ. And he has structured this and set this up in such a way that marriage and who we are with Jesus and what God has designed is this beautiful thing that we need to be pure for our groom when he comes back someday. Therefore, this concept of adultery is for all of us. And he's saying, we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short. And it's only through the sacrifice that Jesus gave of his own life that we can be cleansed from everything that we have ever done. No matter what sin there might be for us, no matter what we've done, we can have that forgiveness that that God can give to us through his son. And then we can be that spotless bride, that pure bride waiting for her groom to come for her the church. If you've never accepted, if you don't know who Jesus is or what he's done for you, I would love to introduce him to you. Because I know that I've been in the spot that you've been in. And I've had to give that confession. I've had to make those statements that I've messed up. And I want you to know that you can come to him. If you have, hey, keep working at it. Keep striving to be that bride that Christ wants to come back for. We're going to stand now. We're going to sing a song. Hopefully our hearts get our hearts prepared and ready for a time um, to remember what Christ has done for us. If you would, let's stand together and sing.